Philippians chapter 1. Thank you, Brother Stephen, for loving Revelation 3.20. I don't like giving verses away to the Arminians. That verse is for us. He's just at the door. Right over here. He's right at the door. All you have to do is let him in and he will come in that easily and have fellowship with you. This is not a difficult matter. Philippians 1.21, I hope that you'll learn this verse. It is not a challenge to your memory. It's short. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Heavenly Father, in the blessed name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who is the King of kings and has gained for us a great victory, we praise thy holy name and ask that you would bless us in the few minutes that we have, that we might be provoked and instructed and corrected to seek the Lord Jesus Christ first in our lives. Have mercy upon us, for we ask it in His name and for His honor and glory, to whom belongs all honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Tonight is... Super Bowl Sunday. They will declare someone a victor. They'll say that there's been a victory and nothing will have been accomplished except a game of chance played with a weirdly shaped ball will have occurred in a religious assembly. And it's all worthless. Even the football buffs in here can't tell me who played in the Super Bowl Two years ago. I didn't mean to look at you, Brother Mike. That's horrible. Eric? Yeah, everybody. We have a victory to sing about. And I hope that when we sang number 413 in our hymnals, Victory in Jesus, that the Lord received more from us than Satan receives from them. Listen, you say, who says that football is satanic? It is satanic when it takes the heart of the people away from loving God first. It's a sign of perilous times when they're lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. And it's nauseating. They will assemble and fill stadiums, and most of America is gathered together supping and having fellowship around their tele-evangelist tonight. But we should be loving the Lord Jesus Christ. He's gained a victory that will never be forgotten, brethren. It's not going to be forgotten by those who weren't part of the victory. And it's never going to be forgotten by those who are part of the victory. We're going to sing his praises for eternity. And they're going to be screaming their woe for eternity. I hope you love this verse. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Lord, help us. My point is to simply give you some practical, provoking instruction and reminding of the basic duties by which we can live for Jesus Christ. We want to have Christ-centered lives. That means everything we do, we want to do it to please the Lord Jesus Christ and present Him to the world, but we also want to do everything in order to know Him better. We want to be seeking Him at all times. We want to be seeking a closer relationship with Him. 
to where he's dearer to our souls, where we love him more. We feel his, we feel his presence and his fellowship more than ever before. We have the moving of his Holy Spirit within us so that the joy and the peace and the righteousness and the glory is there that belongs to those that are Christ if they will but draw nigh to him and ask for his presence and his spirit in their lives. We want to just do that. Instead of talking about it, instead of just preaching messages that would motivate us toward it and that would show that it is indeed scriptural, we want to do it. The first point that I gave you this morning is it's a choice that we must make. It's a, If any man will open that door, I will come in. But he wants us to be seeking him. And so we make a choice that I am not going to live for myself most of the time knowing that I'm comfortable because I'm going to a church that preaches the truth. It's not enough. Not nearly enough. We are going to say to ourselves, I am going to seek the Lord Jesus Christ in my life. I am going to fulfill, I will answer the question that he asked of Peter, lovest thou me more than these? I want to love the Lord Jesus Christ more than any. And every one of you should be saying that and believing that from your heart. It should be a competition in our assembly, in your hearts right now, because the Lord can see them all and I can't. All I can see are your faces and your actions. The Lord sees your hearts. And I wish that this whole assembly was coming up into heaven with a whole number of hearts wanting to excel one another in the love of the Lord Jesus Christ for the glory of Christ himself. It's a choice that we make. We are looking for a relationship rather than a religion. Now, my second point from this morning was praying without ceasing. You've heard about prayer before, and I'm not giving you details about prayer. The one detail I want to give you about prayer is what we should be praying for, and that is to know Christ. I could show you repeated prayers and prayer requests of the Apostle Paul and Peter and John so that you could see what their desire was for the saints to whom they wrote. And their desire was that they would know Christ, that they would receive the fullness of God in their lives and the Holy Spirit in their inner man. The Bible is filled with those examples. So my point about praying without ceasing is not a lesson in prayer. It's to take all that you've heard about prayer and all that you may need to be reminded about prayer and direct it toward the number one prayer request. And that is to know the Lord Jesus Christ. How do we truly live for Christ? First of all, we make a choice. Jesus has died for me. Therefore, he's worthy of all that I can give him. I'm going to live for him. It's my choice. Everything I look do, I'm going to seek for Christ in it. Everything I do, I will do in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then I'm going to begin praying. And my prayers are going to be less for me than they have been in the past. And they're going to be more for him to reveal himself to me. More for him to come in that door and have fellowship with me. The literal door is asking him. Seeking him. Now I want to come to a third step. And these are so simple. You should all know them. But I want to mention them and spend a few minutes on a few of them with this thought in mind. Every one of these steps is to know Christ. Every one of these steps is to know Christ. 
The third one is, you cannot find him, know him, or please him with existing sin in your life. Let's turn in our Bibles to Psalm 66 and verse 18. Psalm 66 and verse 18. These are simple verses. They're very simple thoughts. But all the thoughts that I'm giving you are to be directed toward one end. And that end is the chief aim of man. And that is to know the Lord Jesus Christ and his God, his Father. Remember, what is eternal life? That they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. That's why God saved us. In Psalm 66 and verse 18 I read, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. If you regard iniquity in your heart and you don't confess your sins and clear your life out of all sins, this sermon isn't going to do you any good and any pursuit of what I'm speaking about will not do you any good because he will not hear you. We must confess our sins. And part of that confession is a rooting out and a repenting from all sin. And we confess it. He is so faithful and just to forgive us. This is such a simple step, but it's so obvious in the Bible and so necessary, we cannot move past this point. Our prayers will not be heard unless as part of those prayers we're confessing our sins. And you must find your sins and confess them. Turn to 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9. If you say to yourself or to the Lord or to me, I'm going to wait until I get some things straightened out in my life, and then I'm going to have that relationship with Jesus Christ that you're talking about, you will never get to that point, and it will not happen that way. He will not allow it to happen that way. He wants all the glory. And all the glory means you cast yourself by faith at His feet, saying, Father, forgive me. And He will forgive. Period. End of problem. He wants us to cast ourselves... If we come... Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling, we sing the words, but do we understand how scriptural they are? We come to the cross of Christ and ask for forgiveness, bringing nothing, no promises, nothing. I am a sinner. Job 33, 27 and 28, I have sinned. I have perverted that which was right, and it profited me not. Do you know what happens to that man in the next verse? Amen. The Lord comes to him. 1 John 1, nine. if we confess our sins and flagellate ourselves with... If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If He doesn't forgive you when you confess your sins, He's not faithful and He's not just because He put it in writing. Now when the great God puts something in writing and says He's faithful and He's just, all we have to do is confess it. If you waste, if you come to Him with anything more than that, you will not make what we're talking about. You will not achieve it. You will not find Christ. He will not let you come to Him with any confidence in the flesh or in yourself. You must cast yourself upon His mercy. Forgiveness is sheer forgiveness. Forgiveness is pure forgiveness. It's not partly your works and mostly forgiveness. It is all forgiveness. Forgiveness that gives glory to God is 
forgiving an undeserving sinner who has nothing to pay and nothing to bring, and that gives glory to God. If you ever try to reason with God in your in a, in a prayer verbally or in your heart, you will not make progress in this area. The verse is, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And when there is no unrighteousness, This is what it says, and I believe it. Because if we can't believe it, let's close up, because there is a game. Right here. All unrighteousness. And if all unrighteousness has been taken care of because we came to Him and said, Lord, I have nothing. I can do nothing. I am a sinner. Have mercy upon me through the blood of Thy Son, Jesus Christ. He cleanses away all unrighteousness, and then you are a most fit, most fit, host of him at your table to sup with him and he with you. How important is this? When you truly love someone, how much does it bother you to have an offense between you and that person? Can't stand it. You want to get rid of it as soon as possible. So we should want to confess our sins as soon as possible. Because when we love someone here, and what are we, brethren? Sinners. Sinners loving each other. They don't want any offense between them. They want to get rid of it as quickly as possible. But we're talking about our relationship with God. We should want to confess those sins and get rid of them as soon as we can. This has to be a part of effectual prayer. We have to do this before we can move on. Do you daily confess your sins? Do you do it specifically? Or do you just throw out some general catch-all? You read the example in Scripture, and we want to come to the Lord and acknowledge our sins and confess them and identify them and show Him that we know where we have flagrantly or ignorantly or presumptuously sinned against Him and tell Him the gory details and cast them at the feet of Jesus Christ. He is no stranger to the sin of sinners. Mary Magdalene, he cast seven devils out of her. He's not going to be frightened by what you bring to his feet. He died for it. And he's got plenty of blood to cover it. Do you daily confess your sins, brethren? It was your sins that nailed him to the cross. You know, I love that song, Odd Dearest Jesus. Who was it that denied thee? I did. Therefore, those sins should bother us and we should grieve over them greatly. And then we take them to the cross and we leave them there and stop our grieving and thank him for his forgiveness and his blood. Amen. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. I know that you know, you've heard the word confessing your sins before. I know that you know in general how it's done. I know that you know that God forgives sin through Jesus Christ. But what I want to tell you is if you are not following on all these steps, and this is not a recipe, these are just the things that the Lord Jesus Christ as part of his wholesome words and sound doctrine has given us in the only way that we can come to him. And it's all easy. All I said was confess them. Do you know what that means? I have sinned. 
What is a broken and a contrite heart? I was wrong. That's a broken heart. An unbroken heart is one that is defending or excusing or justifying in the least sense. A broken one is, I am wrong. You are right. I deserve your wrath and judgment. I beg for forgiveness. And I know that you'll grant it because you're faithful and just because of what Jesus did for me. And believe. 1 Peter 2.24, here's what should happen to people who truly know the Lord Jesus Christ and forgiveness. Who his own self bear our sins and his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. 1 Peter 2.24, what I want to take out of this verse right now, is since he died for your sins, you should join our brother Peter in dying to your sins. When you confess your sins, you should be remembering Jesus died for those sins, therefore I should die to those sins. That's what it says in the middle of that verse, that we, being dead to sins, should live under righteousness. Jesus died, He gave His life to pay the legal price for sin, because of that we're dead to sin. We shouldn't want anything to do with it. We should want to be away from it. Dead to it, no interest in it, no life toward it. We should be living under righteousness, as the verse teaches us. That's part of confessing your sins, is turning away from them, repenting, and pursuing righteousness with your whole heart. Now, brethren, I want to go to point four. The scriptures of God. This is God's letter to us. For you to know the Lord Jesus Christ, you need to read his word. We don't want to read his word to fulfill some Pharisee standard of Bible reading. We don't want to read his word just to fill up a chart for your family to know or other members in the church to know. We don't want to read the Bible just so that we can feel good about ourselves that we read the whole Bible through. There's a reason, every point I'm going to make, there's a reason why we want to read the Bible. We want to find the Lord Jesus Christ and know more about Him. Do you know what he said once? He looked at all those Jews... How many have been to the church of Rome and any of her daughters? Nobody wants to raise their hand. Okay. Anyway, here's what they do. They like to take the Bible. Oh, they've got a fancy one. And it's a big one. And they like to take that thing and kiss the Bible. Well, now, isn't that precious? How much good is that going to do for you? You're just kissing a dead cow that your Bible is wrapped in doesn't do a bit of good to kiss the Bible. We need to open it. Then we need to read it. And we need to read it with understanding. And we need to read it with a goal in mind. And you know what that goal in mind is? It's to find the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus looked at all those superstitious Pharisees and Jews around him. Those Jews had headbands on with a little box on their forehead with Scripture in it. Now, isn't that superstitious, ridiculous idolatry of the printed page without wanting to read it and obey it? 
They enlarged the borders of their garments, and they made a big show, but they didn't obey the word of God. And he said to them, search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. Amen. What scriptures did they have when he said that? Genesis to Malachi. They are they which testify of me. Michael was referring to Genesis chapter 1 tonight. In Genesis chapter 3, can you find anything about the Lord Jesus Christ? The seed of the woman. In Genesis chapter 1, can you find that anything about the Lord Jesus Christ? Yes, He is the Creator God in verse 1. They testify of me. So when we open this, and it should be exciting, is there anybody... Can you think of the passage in the Old Testament that tells us when they opened this in a pulpit, all the people stood up and stood there all day long, listening to them read in the law of God distinctly and give the sense. And when they got done because they understood the reading, they had a celebration. Nehemiah chapter 8 verses 1 through 12, a glorious service. When this book opens, we have better understanding than they did already before we even open it. We're looking for the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth. They had never heard of him, except by way of promise and prophecy. So when we open this book, we're looking for the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you err in interpreting some Psalms by seeing Jesus Christ in too many of them, I'll help you when you get to that stage of error. I'm not going to worry about it in the present time. I want you to look at the Word of God and see Jesus Christ everywhere. See him in the book of Esther where he's not mentioned, nor is his father God mentioned. No mention of God in the book of Esther. But in the book of Esther, I see the Lord Jesus Christ caring for a little orphaned girl in the Persian government and seeing her all the way to the top of that and protecting his people from the first chapter to the last chapter. We need to read the Bible every day. When we read it, it should be precious to us because we're looking for the Lord Jesus Christ in it. Search the Scriptures. And in them you think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. That's what Jesus said in John chapter 5 and verse 39. Jesus memorized Scripture. Do you know that? Jesus memorized Scripture. How do we know that? Because in Luke chapter 4, when Satan came to him, when he was being tempted for 40 days and 40 nights, he said, it is written. Now they weren't long passages that he had memorized there. But they were necessary passages. He was able to answer the word of God to Satan. We should memorize scripture. We should memorize, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If you were to say that ten times each day for the next week, it'll help you. And I don't mean ten times at once in some ritualistic chant. I mean ten times throughout the day to stop, reflect, reassess, what am I doing right now? Here I am running around like a chicken with its head cut off, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Lord, I'm sorry for forgetting about you for a few minutes. There's so much going on right now. I love you. Thank you for saving me. And I'm going to do the the next hour is going to be dedicated to you. And then at the end of that hour, say it again. Philippians 1.21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That is how we should live. It's memorizing a simple Bible verse. How much delight do you have in God in, in God's love letter to us about His Son? 
How much delight is in it, is in it for you? Look at Psalm 19. Psalm 19. I fear that in the past we have often slipped into thinking that the Bible was a handbook for defeating all doctrinal opponents. And it's none of that. If we learn the wholesome words of our Lord Jesus Christ, we will learn the truth. And your pastor has been called to hold fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he might be able by sound doctrine to convince and to refute gainsayers. But until we have some gainsayers to take care of, let's make sure we're seeing Jesus Christ and learning about him. And this is the way it should be to you. We sing these words, but do you believe them? Psalm 19, verse 10. More to be desired are they than gold. Yea, than much fine gold. And sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. When you sit down to read the Word of God, is it, oh, I've got to read my Bible. Well, then go back up to point one. Okay, we're, 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 we have a problem. We have a problem. Go back up to point one and commit yourself to seek Jesus Christ. Pray without ceasing that he will give you some life so that you'll appreciate his word. Confess your sins because you're obviously in a mess. Then you can come back to point four and read the Bible again. Amen. Because it should be sweet to you. And if, you're, if your heart is in the right place from those first three steps, I'm a little melodramatic sometimes. This is no different than the way it is sometimes when I'm sitting in a chair and no one can see me. You know, and I don't just flip it open like that. I have a place where I want to go usually. But when I go there, I want to read and I want to learn. And no longer do I want to just find verses that I can memorize so that I can hammer someone with my 66 caliber memory. I have to do a little bit of that, but let's not worry about that. When the enemy comes, we'll get busy memorizing. And we don't, we want to memorize now, but you know what verses I want you to be memorizing? Psalm 73, verses 25 and 26. Whom have I in heaven, or I'm going to summarize it, or in earth besides thee? Amen. You're my portion forever. Memorizing those verses. Memorizing Revelation 3.20 and, and telling the Lord Jesus Christ that you want him to come in and fellowship with you. Is it sweet to you, brethren? Is it more valuable to you than much gold, much fine gold? Look at Jeremiah fifteen sixteen with me. Jeremiah 15. I am not re-preaching a sermon on reading the Scriptures. You heard that a couple of, a few weeks ago. What I'm doing is reminding you the purpose for reading the Scriptures is to find Jesus Christ. When you sit down in a quiet place and open His Word for a few minutes with Him, you should be looking for the Lord Jesus Christ to draw nigh to God and to His Son Jesus through His written Word. Jeremiah 15, verse 16, Thy words were found, and I did eat them. And Thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of mine heart, for I am called by Thy name, O Lord God of hosts. Is it the joy and rejoicing of your heart? You say, I don't know where to read. Call me. Call me. If you can't find something in 31,000 verses or 1,100 chapters, I'll help you find a place to read. If you don't know where else to go, get into those Gospels and read about the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
I had a brother after the service this morning wanting to remind me what was the first word said by Jesus after his resurrection. You heard it, so be quiet. I said that kindly for all of you in tape land. Mary. Amen. Now, that's one word. Can you do anything with that one word? I can. I can read it frontwards, backwards. I can pull it off the page, hold it, look at it in the sunlight. The sunlight of the glorious Son of God that would take the time for a woman out of whom he cast seven devils, pretend he was a gardener for a few minutes, looking at her grief, and then say her name in the tone that she recognized instantly. Amen. She grabbed him. Yes. Yes, I can be there. Yes, one word. Yes! Mary. We have the scriptures more available than any people have ever had it. We have it online. We have it offline. We have it small print, large print. We have it in Palm Pilots. We have it in every nightstand, coffee table. Buy it in almost any bookstore. Do we crave it and love it and appreciate it like all the people who never had it? So many saints never had it like this. They had little sections of it. Their minister might have a copy if they were a blessed congregation under the persecution of Rome. Are we thankful for it? When we open it, is it the joy and rejoicing of our heart? It is the message to us that God has created us. We have sinned, and he has sent a Savior and has reserved for us an eternal inheritance that ought to get us excited. And I just said a few of the a few points about what he's done for us. We need to read the scriptures, and the reason we do it is to find the Lord Jesus Christ. Number five, that what we want to do in seeking Christ is to meditate. When we meditate, we want to stop, get rid of all the distracting cares, not be in a hurry to cover a page, not be in a hurry to check off three boxes on our Bible reading chart. We want to stop and meditate, which is to reflect and to consider and to think and to dwell on it and to muse about it and to work it over in our minds, see it from different angles, appreciate it. We need to stop and smell the true roses of life, and they're found in God's Word. Meditation. Look at Psalm 143. Psalm 143. And I am not suggesting that you can accomplish a relationship with Jesus Christ by simply getting the outline and whipping through these steps. Every one of these steps needs to be done in a prayerful, Christ-seeking mode. Your heart's desire has got to be to see Jesus Christ. The med- it's not to meditate in a vacuum. It's to meditate with a prayerful spirit of, Lord, let me see all that you want me to see from this. Let me see within myself. Search me, O God. Psalm 143 and verse 5. I remember the days of old. We have 6,000 days of old to remember. They're all recorded, right? 4,000 of them are recorded right here. We have 6,000 
days to remember of what God has done. I remember the days of old. That's the first part of meditation is to remember. I meditate on all thy works. That doesn't just mean we see them and it doesn't just mean we read about them. We think about them. We meditate on his works. Meditate on the flood. Meditate on the resurrection. Meditate on the crucifixion. How can you read Luke 23 about the thief on the cross and not find great pleasure in those words? I muse on the work of thy hands. That is to think deeply and to consider something. Our nation, and I've said this before, is a nation addicted to amusement. Amusement. Amuse is no musing. You go to an amusement park to make sure that you don't do any thinking. And we have sound everywhere and sight everywhere to fill our eyes and to fill our ears so that there's very little time done to think. Little time done left to muse. You know, the Lord used to shut the lights off and you would sit in your house with very little to do except to muse. You say, what a waste of time. That's why you don't know Christ. Be still and know that I am God. It takes time to meditate and to seek Him. Look at Psalm 4.4. I can't dwell too long on any of these verses. There is so much to meditate about in the Word of God. If you're seeking Christ, you'll want to meditate about how, if you're thinking of His glory, then get into the book of Revelation and see the pictures that He gave us to help us meditate upon His glory. If you want to see His compassion, then get into the Gospels and see Him healing. Blind men, lepers, little girls, the only son of a widow woman of Nain, Luke 7, one of my favorites. What is your favorite? What's your favorite healing miracle of the New Testament? Don't make one up for me, because if you don't already have one, you must not have been doing a whole lot of meditating about them. You should have one that the Lord gives you that blesses your heart. I'm not making fun of you. I'm encouraging you that you should be meditating on these things. And there should be ones that you love to look at and read every word about them. In Psalm 4.4, it says, Stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your bed, and be still, Selah. Our lives today, don't we? The alarm clock goes off, and we get up, and we run, and we run, and we run, and we hear, we put noise in our ears with radios, CD players, and all sorts of other modern inventions that Satan uses. They're neutral enough in themselves, but Satan uses to keep our ears full of sound, and our eyes with that television and other objects, and we don't have time to commune. And we go to bed so tired, we just fall. And the next thing we know, the alarm's going off. The average American doesn't have time to commune with his own heart upon his bed. But that's what we're told to do, and be still. Life is sober, and we should be thinking about the fact that we need a Savior, and that we want one, and we're thankful for one, and we love Him, and we want Him to be closer to us. And we can do that in our beds, and in fact, we're told to right here in Psalm 4. 
You know, in Job 22, there's a verse that I like. It says, Acquaint thyself now with him, that is the Lord, and be at peace, thereby good shall come unto thee. Acquaint yourself with the Lord. Isn't that a quaint expression? That's a spiritual expression. Acquaint thyself now with him. Get acquainted with the God of the Bible and know him. Commune with your hearts about him. Be at peace. And thereby good shall come unto thee. When you love something, a hobby or a person, how easy does, how easily does it leave your mind? If you really love something, something or someone, you are thinking about it all the time. If we truly love Jesus Christ, we would be thinking about Him all the time. And you say, I don't think about Him all the time and I want to. This is what I'm preaching it for tonight. Let's seek Him so that we love Him more. And let us pray for Him by His Holy Spirit to fill us with a, with a love for Him that we haven't had before. That is what Paul prayed for the Ephesians. We looked at it this morning, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. Once you fully see the love of Christ for you, you will love him more fully. And when you love him fully, you will be meditating upon him often and then always, as the Apostle Paul did. You know, when I, I have read all these epistles and I've read the book of Acts many times, and I have looked for what Paul did for diversions. I think his diversion must have been being beaten. You know, I don't read about him bowling on Monday nights. Do you, do you read about him bowling on Monday nights? Hunting on Saturday mornings? Nothing wrong with either. If they're in their proper place. But there was a man sold out to the Lord Jesus Christ. He was going all the time because he loved Christ so much. He said, if Christ loved us so much and one died for all, then all were dead and all were going to go to hell and that he died for all, then they which live should live for him that died for them. He just looked at it as it's just an automatic given. It's a no-brainer. Jesus died for me. I ought to live for him. Period. And we ought to meditate on Christ so that always we're thinking of him. And if we're not, if the only time you think of Jesus Christ is when you're here because I'm forcing him on you. There's severe problems. Self-examination, brethren. Number six, self-examination. Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. I quote them often to you. I want you to see them. You should memorize these verses. These are great verses for your prayers. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Verses 23 and 24 of Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Amen. That is opening yourself up to the Lord in prayer. Asking Him to search and examine and check you out. And where He finds anything displeasing to Him, to show it to you, and then to lead you in the way everlasting, the right way. He will. He will. A brother this evening got up and said that the Lord had done that for him. Did you hear that? I hope that you all heard that testimony tonight and understood that the Lord did that, revealed something. And the closer you're drawing to Christ, He will reveal more and more. 
Not because he's wanting to pick on you, but because he wants you to be perfect. And so that your fellowship with him can be sweeter. It's part of your praying is to self, to examine yourself and to ask the Lord. I preached a week ago away from you from the book of Haggai about consider your ways. Self-examination means to consider your ways. What are you doing right now in your life? Consider them. Ask yourself if you have the blessing of God in your life or not. Remember, I'm not talking about the W-2. That's your wage statement at the end of the year. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, do you know Jesus Christ? Consider your ways. If you don't know Christ very well, and you wish you knew him better, and your love for him is kind of cold and dull, then you need to consider your ways, and somewhere in here, you have got off the path. And you, all you need to do is confess it, and get back on the path, and he will mercifully forgive and come to you. I preached a whole message on examining yourself earlier this year. I want to go to point seven. Do you love to sing? Amen. Just read the Bible. Just see the people that were close to God. Look at David. David's writing poetry and music, inventing musical instruments. Go look at the man. The man invented musical instruments, wrote music, wrote poetry, killed lions, bears, and, and giants also, earned quite a dowry to get his first wife. Yes, he did it all. He was a well-rounded man. Uh, and he was the man that Jesus Christ was named after. He's the son of David from the beginning of the Bible to the end. All the way in the Revelation, we can still see him called the son of David. But when you go look at David and you want to be a man after God's own heart, love music. I'm not going to preach on music, but I just want to remind you that if you truly want to seek the Lord Jesus Christ, he tells us that if the Holy Spirit is in us, Ephesians 5.18, Colossians 3.16, if the Holy Spirit is in us, it is going to naturally come out in the form of singing. You say, I'm not very musical. Well, then it'll be less musical sound that the rest of us will hear. But the melody in your heart is as good as anyone else's melody. He doesn't care what comes out of the lips. In this particular case that I'm talking about, he cares about what's coming out of the heart. Do you love to hear praise to him in the form of music and song? And do you love to participate in it? And you know, some of you know, most of you should know, those times that I'm talking about where you just want to sing His praise. We're to sing from the inside with joy from the Holy Ghost, and we're to sing with our understanding. I know that while I was gone last Sunday, CDs were passed out in this church. And instead of being contemporary Christian music, they were hymns, a cappella. And I've heard good things about them. My parents went home and sat down and listened to the whole thing before they went to bed. I've listened to it many times this week. Double digits. Single digits every day. Sing else away and sing along with it because you want to sing praise to His name. Do you want to lift your hands to heaven and just wish that you were being translated and sing praise to His name? Do you love to do that? It will flow from your heart. Jesus Christ sang hymns. Did you know that? Jesus Christ sang hymns. Matthew 26. 
Matthew 26 and verse 30. I don't know what you think about the Lord Jesus Christ. I think, you know, often we have a Catholic image that's been given to us in paintings, pictures, and Bible stories. But Jesus Christ was a man like us, except without sin, pure, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, precious. But he sang. Is that too much for you to believe? He sang. Don't you wish we had the music and the words? Matthew 26 and verse 30. Simple little verse. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. And you know what happened next. But he sang. That was prophesied of him. In Hebrews 2.12, we can read about it again. That I will sing praise to thee in the midst of the church. In the book of Hebrews. You know what you're supposed to do if you're happy? Where, where does it say that? James chapter 5. James chapter 5. Verse 13. A lot of wisdom in this little verse. Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any among you merry? Let him sing psalms. Let him sing. So if you're seeking Jesus Christ, and if you truly seek him, and you're looking to Christ for all he's done for us, and you're praying for the Holy Spirit to fill you and show you Jesus Christ, you're confessing your sins, you're reading Scripture and delighting in it like honey and gold, you're meditating upon Him and you've examined yourself, the result should be that you're happy, and a spiritual happiness results in singing. So, a check we can have is, when was the last time you sang because you had to? And the had to is not from the pastor or from a brother calling you. It was from inside by the Holy Spirit of God needing to let off a little steam for the Lord Jesus Christ. And I do not mean any of that irreverently. When was the last time you had to sing? When was the last time you just had to be hear some music that was praised to the glory of Jesus Christ? Now, you can jumpstart yourself a little bit if you'll start singing along with these other steps. Because singing, praise the Lord Jesus Christ, honors Him so much, and it's what every being in heaven is doing right now. You are putting yourself in a spiritual position to receive blessing. So sing. When I go to heaven, what are my four beasts doing? They like the Amen Chorus. How do I know that? Revelation 5.14. And the four B said, Amen. The first sentence of Revelation 5.14. They love the Amen Chorus. They're singing, Worthy is the Lamb. They're singing, Hallelujah for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. And so, I, I ask you and I ask me, when was the last time we had to sing? Let's choose to sing and put ourselves in that spiritual condition where we're ready for the Holy Spirit to burst forth with the feelings and the blessing and the Abba Father joy in the Holy Ghost. But now if you have unconfessed sin in your life and you listen to music that's about Jesus Christ, it's kind of boring. It's not very exciting. And I think... Pastor Crosby's on drugs. And he isn't. 
The Bible knew that. That's why it said, Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Ephesians 5, 17 and 18. And you'll see that that filling with the Spirit results in singing. What My point being that if you haven't sought Christ, you're not reading the Scriptures to learn of Christ, you're not meditating upon Him, you haven't examined yourself, and this isn't difficult. All these things should become a habit without even needing anybody's outline. Listen, if you're not sinning all the time, you don't need to be confessing your sins all the time. If prayer becomes a habit, you won't need an outline to remind you to pray. If you've already made the choice to seek Christ, you don't need point one again for as long as you live. It all becomes very simple. I'd like to quit right now, pull out the red hymnals and sing Hallelujah, What a Savior. I wonder how many brethren would get into it with me. By the Holy Ghost. I'm not your cheerleader. I will lead some cheers and I will encourage you in the Lord and try to lift your hearts up. But there is a cheerleader inside of every one of us. And I mean that reverently also who wants to lift up praise and glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's the Holy Spirit of God. One more little point. Oh, before I leave music, what kind of music are you listening to? If it's country western about people getting drunk and taking each other's wives, that's not what I had in mind, nor what James 5.13 had in mind, and Jesus never sang it. You can go ahead and put any kind of music in there you want. If it's not honoring the Lord Jesus Christ, you're off the beaten path. You say you mean all music should honor Jesus Christ? Absolutely. Everything you do should honor Jesus Christ. If you can't do everything you do in the name of the Lord Jesus, then you shouldn't be doing it. You say that'd be so boring. That's why you need to go to point one. Boring. You are out of your mind. God have mercy upon us. The day you need one of those little twangy singers singing about drugs, booze, and adultery in order to be happy, you've got problems. When you've got to listen to Elton John sing about love when the man goes to bed with men, you've got a problem. He doesn't know anything about love. He's never been introduced to the subject. He's a sodomite. A person who has started at point number one and comes down to point number seven will not even need me to say any of that. They already want to have songs that are praising Jesus Christ. The the last point I want to give you this evening is you need to exalt the assemblies where God is seen in his sanctuary. Look at Psalm 63. Psalm 63. Psalm 63 and verse 2. We read it this morning as part of our psalm reading. O God, Thou art my God, we read in verse 1, Early will I seek Thee, my soul thirsteth for Thee, my flesh longeth for Thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is, to see Thy power and Thy glory, so as I have seen Thee in the sanctuary. The last point I want to leave you with tonight is the preparation of your heart and soul and your family, and I'm going to get to that family part later, for all you men. But for us to prepare our hearts and our souls to come here to seek after the Lord.
Because of that first verse, early will I seek thee. So you should be here early. That's not exactly what was meant in Psalm 63 and verse 1, but it says early will I seek thee. My flesh, my soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land. We have just spent 160 hours away from one another and God's assembly. It's dry and thirsty out there. We should want to get here. And it should involve some preparation and a heart that's eager. And if your heart isn't eager, go back to point one. Or go back to point seven and start singing. You might get eager. I want to get there where there's another hundred voices around mine. Because it's comforting, isn't it, brethren? When we're all singing loudly about our Lord Jesus Christ and the victory He's won for us, isn't it comforting? Wait till it's 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands with supernatural voices. But right now it's pretty good too. And I'm thankful for that. Jesus Christ is in the assembly of His churches. This is His holy temple. This is His holy temple, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ of the New Testament. God, the Holy Spirit, dwells in this body. It's a mystery. I can't explain it to you. He's a spirit. He dwells inside each one of us and has fellowship with each one of us. He is an invisible, eternal, infinite spirit. And he also comes into this assembly. And this is where we ought to come to meet the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a glorious place. Look at Psalm 27 and verse 4. It has nothing to do with the fact that behind me on this wall, so plainly evident in all video productions from this church, are hinges and gaps and trim work on this ugly pink wall behind me. See, that has nothing to do with the worship of God. Everyone else thinks they have to build something of brick and stone, and it gives them comfort to go into this beautiful building and to hear a pipe organ. They think that they're close to God. But close to God, being close to God is from the inside. They, Jesus was once asked, Where is your kingdom? What is your kingdom? Show us your kingdom. He said, my kingdom doesn't come with observation. That means you can't see it. The kingdom of God is within you. That's what Jesus said. And so we come together, we know that, that it's within us. But he told us to assemble. And when we assembled, he would be in our midst. Not in the place, but in our midst when we assemble. Psalm 27 and verse 4. One thing have I desired of the Lord... That will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. We don't have Solomon's temple and we don't have Zerubbabel's temple. We have Jesus Christ's temple. And it's the dwelling place of the Most High God. This verse was in our bulletin, by the way. I saw it there. But I already had this verse picked out. But the Holy Spirit picked picked it out for both of us. Amen. Psalm 27, I believe that, what I said. One thing have I desired of the Lord. One thing, one thing have I desired of the Lord. That will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Why? To behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. What would we be inquiring about in his temple? The Lord. Lord, I want you. Draw nigh to me, O Lord, in his temple. You're, you're there near, nearby, Psalm 26 and verse 8, Lord. 26, 8, Lord, 
I have loved the habitation of thy house and the place where thine honor dwelleth. This is where God's honor dwells. We should prepare and come here with eager hearts. Do you prepare? I see in the Old Testament that they prepared. I've mentioned these things to you before. When when God told Jacob to go to Bethel and build an altar there to the Lord, he cleaned up his act and he cleaned up the act of his entire family. They washed their clothes, they took baths, and they got ready to go meet God. You say, they really did stuff like that? Yes, they did. It's Genesis chapter 35. And then when all the nation of Israel was to meet God on Mount Sinai, Exodus chapter 19, three days of getting ready. That was serious to meet the Lord. Three days of getting ready, sanctifying themselves for three days. That means setting themselves apart from anything profane and foolish so that they could worship the holy God. They washed their clothes, they took baths, and they didn't have sex. They were not going to be distracted with anything that took them away from the spiritual thoughts that their God was going to come down on Mount Sinai, and he came down. And God's honor dwells in this New Testament. And while we don't have instructions like that for us in the New Testament, there's a principle. The Old Testament was not written and then lost for all of its purpose. The principle is there of preparation. And if we prepare ourselves, we can come in here and be ready to worship God enthusiastically, fervently, spiritually, seeing Christ in all that we do. I don't do this. I don't get myself worked up because it's my job. The Lord works me up because it's the job he's given me. And other than the Lord, there's one person that knows how desperate I am on Saturday nights and Sunday mornings. And that's my wife. But I'll tell you, by going to bed on time on Saturday night, by stopping all carnal activities at 6 o'clock on Saturday evening, by having a time of singing, Bible reading, and prayer on Saturday night, by doing the same thing on Sunday morning before we come here, by living properly during the week and looking forward to this, when I get here, I'm ready to worship the Lord. I want to hear the first bar of the first song because I'm ready to sing. And if we're not doing that, we are not seeking the Lord Jesus Christ because this church is called a candlestick in the book of Revelation chapter 1 and Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, is walking in the midst of his golden candlesticks and he can be found if we will prepare and come here looking for him. That's point number eight, to exalt the assemblies of the Lord Jesus Christ and so that when we come together, you're ready to seek him here because this is one of the places where he will be found. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word.